You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. All right. Well, hey, guys, good morning. Good to be with you this morning. We're in a brand new teaching series from the book of Acts. If you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and open it up. This is one of my favorite books. It's actually the third longest book in the New Testament, Um, and it chronicles the life of the church and what God wants to do in the life of his believers. And this morning, we were singing about God's kingdom coming, and God's kingdom means literally his rule and reign upon earth. When we say the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, let's say it together, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is God's kingdom coming down on earth in the church being a witness and a testimony of that. And that literally what we're going to be learning today is that a witness is simply sharing what you've seen God do in your life. And so this morning when we come to that word witness and we look at that in the book of Acts, if you're like me, you might get a little afraid if somebody says to you, hey, um, be a witness. Let me tell you a story of the first time I was a witness and it freaked me out. I was in the third grade. I, was, I grew up in a Christian home and I labeled everything good and bad. And if you did not believe in Jesus under my little third grade worldview, you were just bad. And so I'm going to uh, school. We've got a little play that we're gonna go to. We load on the bus and uh, we get on the bus and there's this kid named Ivory. And Ivory's got a reputation. He's the meanest uh, schemer and, and scoundrel kind of kid in the whole school. And I'm kind of at this point in time, I mean, I'm picking up learning cues on how to, you know, be friends with the bullies, be friends with the nerds so I can study and cheat a little bit. And uh, so I'm learning how to work with people. And Ivory is a in my mind, a bad kid. So I, uh, I make friends with Ivory a little bit through the school year. We get on the bus, so, and Ivory had a bad day. Probably, story goes, is literally, probably Ivory just had a really bad home life. Ivory's mad. Ivory's sitting on the bus. We're going to the Nutcracker, okay? Robinson Auditorium Theater in Little Rock, Arkansas. It's a big day at Fulbright Elementary, and we're pumped to go. And uh, there's no more seats on the bus, and I get on the bus, and Miss Turner walks me up, and she says, Ryan, you're going to sit over there. Um, Oh, gosh, the bus is full. Oh, Ryan, uh, it looks like this bus is full. Raise your hand if there's an empty seat beside you. And sure enough, guess who raises her hand? Bam, it's a little ivory. And I'm like, oh, no, Lord, that's a bad kid. So I go sit down beside ivory, and then I look at him, and he goes, what you looking at? And I was like, hey, man, I'm cool, I'm cool. And then he says something to the teacher, and then he gets into it, and then there's a a little verbal dispute that breaks out. And I thought in my head, what do I do? I want to be a witness to this kid. So I'm like, hmm, mom and dad told me being a witness is a good idea. So I just say to the kid, hey, he's mad. I said, hey, Ivory do you know Jesus? And he looks at me and goes, bam! And I'm like, oh, literally blood is coming down my nose. Teacher gets up. She's like trained in ninjutsu or something. She gets up. She whips him up. She grabs his jacket. I don't know if you've ever seen, somebody can make a straight jacket out of a regular jacket. She grabs his jacket, zips it down halfway, and flips it over his arms, and he's walking around like a penguin. And I'm like, oh my goodness, Miss Turner, I've been trained by Chuck Norris. I'm loving it. And so I walk out of that experience, and I say, forget it. I will never witness to people. Look what you get in America, a bloody nose. What is a witness? I would argue you don't have to know a Bible verse to be a witness. I'd argue you don't need to be a theologian. You don't need to be a salesman. You simply need to testify to what you've seen God do. That's a witness. That's being a witness. Recently, I was involved um, 
talking to a friend. They got into a car accident. Uh, there was somebody that, you know, so the, for, for, I'll make the story easy and short. Guy runs a red light, hits the car. And, uh, well, you know what? That story's not good. I got a better story, let me tell you real quick. It was, I was on I-17, right? I-17 going down the highway, going 94, somewhat. No, I'm not going to say that. But we're going down the highway, and there's this, this wreck. There's a girl in a car, two girls in a car, teenagers. They had gone north on I-17. And if you know where our church property is, just right, just off of I-17, I'm driving, and I'm actually with one of the uh, interns had been there uh, with me on the property. We're driving north, and there's a Suburban that blows through the gate, does a flip, flips. Two girls are in the car. They jump out. They're standing on the side of the road, and literally not a scratch on them, a Suburban flip multiple times. So I get out. I stop like I'm always like the EMT, but for Jesus, wherever I go, and so I show up, and I'm right there, and I'm like, I'm just going gonna, gonna to pray for these people, see what God's doing. So I get there. I, I tell these girls, look, are you scratched? Are you hurt? Look at your car. It flipped like three times. And then I say to them, do you know Jesus? I'm like, you know, a little bit. And I said, well, guess what? He's got a plan for your life. There's no way you could have done this without his plan and purpose to preserve you. So can I pray and thank Jesus for his work right here today? And they're, yeah, absolutely. And we start praying and they start crying and it's a powerful moment and Jesus is being exalted and the police comes up and says, hey, are you an eyewitness? And I said, absolutely. And they said, did you see it? I said, yeah, I saw it. The cop didn't ask me, hey, are you an expert in cars? Are you an expert in traffic safety? No, he asked me a question. Did you see what happened? And my testimony was, I saw it. I saw it. A witness doesn't have to be an expert in God's word. A witness is simply somebody who testifies and says, this is what I saw. That's a witness. And so when we look at the book of Acts, it's not only an Acts story, the Acts of the Apostles, but you're going to see God acting all throughout the church's life. And so we're going to see that these are testimony, historical accounts by Luke, who is not only a physician, but he's also a historian. And he takes in eyewitnesses accounts from Jesus's mother, Mary, the disciples, and he accurately portrays what actually happened. And then he calls us to be a witness. So let's do this. Go ahead and stand together for the reading of God's word. We're in Acts chapter one. Acts chapter one, verse one. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up and after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they have come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of the sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, they went and behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why are you standing looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord, amen? You may be seated. Heavenly Father, work by the power of your spirit. Move to give hope and healing for all those that have come today, God, to be in touch with you. We see that you're at work all throughout the life of the church here and now. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, everybody said, 
Amen. I want to argue that God has a global vision for a worldwide witness for his church. What I mean by that is I mean this, is that we are his witnesses and we simply share what we've seen God do. Let's say that together. We simply share what we've seen God do. You don't need to be a salesman to be effective and to fulfill the teaching that I'm talking about today. You don't need to be a theologian. You don't need to be a pastor. You don't even know how to know how to read. You simply have to testify to say, here's what I've seen God do. We can do that by the power of the Spirit, by the grace of God. We can do that. Amen? I had some uh, research uh, that I looked at this week in relation to this generation, specifically the millennials. There was millions of millennials. Those are those of you that were born after 1980. And it's kind of some grim news I'll share with you, at least the report that I found. They say what kind of characterizes the millennial generation, those of you born in 1980, is that you have an aspiration to be famous. That's much, I would credit that, to YouTube and American Idol and all sorts of other things. You just want to be famous. Um, You put your personal interest at the top. Uh, that you are self-centered, that you are lazy, and you are struggle with entitlement. You believe the world revolves around you. I'm asking the question, if this is the generation God's placed me in, how do I motivate a group of millennials to get off the couch, to not be lazy, to not be self-centered, but to be others-focused, and not seek to be famous, but to make Jesus famous. That's my ambition. Recently, I took a group of interns down to Phoenix Seminary. I'll show you a picture. And uh, they look great. It looks like I had a struggle with the hair dryer that day. <laughs> I do not use a hair dryer. But it looks like I could have used one that day. Um, we went down to Phoenix Seminary and we hung out at this place after we went down there. These, guys, these, are, these are millennials. And, and they're not this right here. Actually, they're countercultural. They're not self-centered. They're others-focused. They're not lazy. They're hard workers. They're not trying to be famous. They're trying to make Jesus famous. This is how we're gonna treat that because we have the power of Christ and we're gonna do things different at North Valley, Amen. Let's change this generation. So here in North Valley, you know, these young guys and gals, I sat down with them and talked to them about being a witness and being in ministry. And here's what I want to encourage you, just like all of you, is this, is that it's not that you've got to become a professional pastor or a leader to have a witness or an influence. And we were actually at this little cool little restaurant called The Stand. It was a burger joint. And it was one of the best little burger joints, I would argue, in the Phoenix Valley. And uh, we went there and we hung out and we talked about, man, this is so cool down here in this Tempe area, Arcadia. There's so much culture and creativity and we love that. And I said to them, you create that in the North Valley. You be the ones to be an influencer and create a whole new culture. I want to encourage all of you to understand your witness and influence in every arena is incredibly valuable. You play an incredible witness in everywhere you go, in business, in economics, in politics, in every realm, in nursing or technology. You have a witness at stake. And we influence this next generation. And the storyline of Acts goes on. The kingdom is being played out as we're sharing and showing the love of Christ. I want to thank those of you that are seeking to be a witness. I want to thank those of you as well on this 4th of July weekend. If you've served in armed services or you've served in politics or you've served in any realm to preserve, to promote, or to protect freedom so that the witness of the church can flourish and go forward, thank you for doing that. Thank you for your service. (laughs) 
So God's global vision for a worldwide witness, it is none other than a global vision. We serve a global God. Five observations, here we go. In the first book, O Theophilus, I'm gonna work through this text. There's a first book, Luke is a physician, but he's also a historian. The first book is the Gospel of Luke. He takes a historical account, reports to a gentleman by the name of Theophilus, was a common Greek-Roman name. It actually means a lover of God. And he says, I have dealt, that phrase, I have dealt, means he's taken it into account. This is a scholarly level of research that would deserve shelf life on any famous library in his day. He says, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given the commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, specifically the 12 disciples, generally the interpretation and understanding on that word apostles is all those he sends means the sent ones whom he had chosen. Verse three, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering, the suffering on the cross that had been predicted and foretold for thousands of years. And in the cross, we see the majesty and the glory of Christ offering forgiveness for all sins, past, present, and future for all those who call upon his name. And so the gospel, the good news is for you, for me, so whatever you came in here with, whatever struggle, whatever hurt, whatever sin that it plagues you, you can confess because he suffered for your sake. He was on the cross for your sake. And so in that, even today as we prepare and we get into communion later, you remember the suffering that took place of Christ. And these gentlemen, these apostles, they were eyewitnesses and they experienced the forgiveness of Christ. They saw his power. And Luke says this, The commands that had been given through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, verse three, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. He proved himself appearing to them during 40 days and speaking to them about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is God's rule and reign upon earth. Here's the point. God's got a vision to invite us to work with him. He's got a vision that he is the king and we are his servants. We're witnesses of the work of the king. And as we go out and share or show the love of Jesus Christ, we're expanding that kingdom, God's rule and reign, that Lord's prayer. God, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. God invites us to work with them. Maybe it's serving on Sundays. Maybe it's being a part of a mission trip. Maybe it's giving sacrificially like I taught last week. You participate or contribute at some level, all of us, towards God's kingdom work in the world. Verse four says this, and while staying with them, he ordered them, he has authority, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. Everybody say, wait. It's a hard thing to do as a Christian sometimes is to wait on God. Some of you are praying and you're like, God, you're not answering. Yes, he is. He either says, okay. He either says, no, or he says, not yet. Those are the options. God always speaks. And what he had told him, he said, I want you to wait. I want you to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the father, which he had said, you've heard from me. Jesus himself taught in John chapter 14, you could pick it up and read on another time, he taught all about the promise of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus would leave earth, he would not leave without giving assistance and enabling power with the Holy Spirit. And he says, wait on that. The promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, verse five, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. That word baptize literally means to dip or to immerse, but it means most the result being that you become one with it. So here's the point. God's vision requires us to rely on his spirit. 
and to become moving in one heart and one mind with what God wants to do. The Bible teaches us in Ephesians that every single believer is sealed with the Holy Spirit, meaning that there's this stamp of God's approval upon your life, that he has authority in your life, that you are not a slave to sin anymore, but you have the power to overcome sin, and you have power to do incredible and great things for God's glory to make him famous, not you famous. You're sealed. Ephesians 1.3 teaches us that. But Paul goes on, and I think this is where many Christians miss it, and many churches miss it. Paul goes on and teaches that there's this ongoing filling of the Holy Spirit that we pray for, for renewed strength, for a renewed vision, for a renewed ministry or marriage or work, whatever he has for us. And we're filled and we're to be filled. And we travel around in the Christian life like a car out of gas on the side of I-10 in a dry desert And we ask, why can't I get to where I need to go in life? And I say, because you're not being filled up on a daily basis with the refreshing and renewing power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He is the most active and involved um, God, personal God in your life. The Bible teaches that there is one God, three persons, and all fully being God. That is the Trinity. Try to wrap your head around that. Good luck. But that's how Jesus testifies. God's word tells us, your ways are not my ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Verse 6 teaches us this. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They were expecting a political powerhouse. Modern day politics makes me nervous today. They were expecting a new political power to rise. Jesus being the long awaited Messiah. And their question is more political than it is spiritual. And Jesus had made promises that he would one day rule from Jerusalem and restore all rights and bring justice upon all the earth and right every wrong. And God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven would one day be fully established. But that day was not here and now. And Jesus says, verse 7, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times The word in the Greek there is chronos, and it means the specificity of time. He says, or the seasons, which is the kairos, and that is a broad or general phrase, understanding of time. He says that the Father has fixed by his own authority. God has what we understand in two forms of knowledge that we can access or try to understand is he has his secret will. That means things that are only known by God and we don't fully know, and we will never know this side of heaven. And then there is his general will. And what we get mad about is his secret will. If you've been a parent for very long, you know there's some things your children just don't need to know. It's between you and your spouse or you and your family or whatever the situation. Why? And your response is, because I'm mom, because I'm dad, okay? Well, why can't I know? Why can't I know? Because I said so. God, our Father, has a secret will and plan. And so what does he call us to do? Here's the point. God's vision calls for us to trust in his plans. He says the Father's fixed these by his own authority. God's vision calls us to trust in his plans. We don't need to be prophets. We don't need to predict when Jesus is coming back. What we need to do is be a witness. We don't need to be a salesman. What we need to do is just simply be a witness to testify, here's what we've seen God do. We don't know all the things and understand everything about how God lives or behaves or does all that. We don't understand it all. Here's what I can testify to. Here's how the grace of God has worked in my life. Here's how the grace of God has changed my marriage. 
Here's how the grace of God has been true in his word. And when I apply God's word, things seem to click better. Your response is to trust God with his plans. We've had a lot of self-appointed prophets over the years, have we not? I remember Y2K hit, man, Christian community acted like bugs when the, uh, when the bug man came, you know? Had some friends literally dug holes in the ground and built shelters, stored up ammo, guns, and food. I don't know. Maybe I'm too casual. I'm like, Lord, come. Do your work. I, I don't see anything in here that actually tells me that I, I need to freak out or try to assign dates and times. And all of you with your computers, I mean, you probably prepped. You're like, it's going to be a global meltdown, Y2K. And that man thing, the clocks just kept ticking. Boom, boom, boom. We were rolling. The Bible says that our job is to be a witness, not a prophet. Verse 8, but you will receive power, everybody say power, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's a dynamic form of power that says the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses 39 times in the book of Acts in various forms that word is used in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's going to start in Jerusalem and move throughout the world. The book of Acts, this is kind of the geographical outline of the mission mandate, not just for the apostles, but for all the sent ones. And Jesus said, I'm sending you into the world to be my witness. Jesus sends you you have influence. I don't know how many friends you've got. Maybe you've got a couple friends you could fit on this stage. Maybe some of you got enough friends you could fill up these front two rows. Then you look at your Facebook account and you've got a lot of friends. My point is, is you have influence with somebody. And your responsibility as a believer is simply to share what you've seen God do. That's your job. Everybody wants to know, what do I do in life? What is God's plan for my life? Here's your plan. Share and show the love of Jesus Christ. Do that. Well, I want to be famous. No, 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 no. You don't seek fame. Seek to make Jesus famous. And the more you seek to make him famous, God oftentimes raises those people up and say, you, I want to use you. Because you're not about you, you're about me. And I want my light to shine through you. And I want to use you to influence a generation. Here's what we see, verse 9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and on a cloud took him, that is Jesus. He literally is leaving them. And the, uh, the, uh, Luke, the historian, is recording this account. This cloud has been mentioned in Exodus 40, Matthew 17, Mark 1, Mark 9, as the Shekinah glory of God, the very presence and the power of God. He's lifted up out of their sight, and while they were gazing, that word gaze literally means to look intently. It is zeroed in. If you're a video gamer, you can like play video games so intensely, and your eyes like don't blink. And you're just sitting there and you're zeroed in and then you walk away from it and you can like see the video game wherever you're going. You're like, whoa, I've been on this thing way too long. Not that I would know. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm so mature, you know. Now, I did hear a report the other day, man, I'm like, praise God, cool. Uh, that video games actually doesn't have as bad effect. It actually does stimulate brain activity. So those of you that are like, yes, yes, I play a lot. Just don't be that self-centered, lazy kid, okay? They're looking intently. They're focused in, zeroed in. Gazing into heaven, and when he went, behold, two men, there would be two angels. Luke uses the same kind of language in the Gospel of Luke at the resurrection scene, he says two men stood by them in white robes. These things were, I could envision them just being 
I don't want to say translucent. It's the way I've studied the word and the phrases, but it's a, something that you could almost see through. But there's this powerful, triumphant imagery. Takes 3D to a whole new level. Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you have seen him go to heaven. Here's the point. God's vision challenges us to get started. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the prince of preachers from the 1800s in London, called this a gentle chiding of the angels to the apostles that they needed to get going. I'm like, what is a gentle chiding? If you use that phrase, maybe you are from the 1800s. It means reproval. It means a, like almost like a small lecture. Like when you get in trouble, maybe with your supervisor, your boss, or those of you that are younger and you're still at home, your parents, and they lecture you. It's not like, like scolding you, but it's like a lecture. Hey, sit down. We need to talk. That's what happened here. The angels from heaven sent by God to carry out God's message said, what are you doing? You need to get going. You're stuck looking this way, but did he not already tell you that you're going to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth? The problem is with so many of us is that we fail to launch. We're still sitting at home, and Christ has said, go into the world would you share and show the love of Christ? And you say, I don't want to. I'm afraid. Don't make fun of me. And I have images of ivory, right? Bam! Oh! Lord, I don't want to be your witness. He's, here's the deal. A witness is, let's say this together. A witness is somebody who simply shares what they've seen God do. A witness is somebody who simply shares what they've seen God do. That's what we can do. We can do that. Please don't try to be a salesman. Don't sell Jesus. Testify to him. He's not a product to be sold. He's a person to be told about. I meet with Jesus every single day. I try to spend time in his presence to become more familiar with him so that he'll trust me to lead you. And so that I can accurately share God's word with authority and confidence. But my concern is for this, is for me, and it's for you, is the older I get in my Christian life, I seem to feel a little bit more isolated to the world around me. And the primary mission in Acts is not go build a holy huddle. It's not to form a seminary, but to form this incredible, unstoppable entity and enterprise that he is so actively involved in called the local church. And he says, I want you to be a penetration of my goodness and my righteousness throughout all the ends of the earth. What is the mission of God? It's to share and show the love of Christ to the ends of the world. Whose job is that? It's us. It's this generation, this time, it's this community my hope and heart is, is that in every single neighborhood in the North Valley would have a permanent presence of Christ with a neighborhood group that would share and show the love of Christ. And through that, there'd be people that say, I'll be a witness. You don't need to be a salesman. Don't do that. That's not what he called you to do. Don't be a prophet. Don't be walking around and telling people, you better repent and believe because he's coming back. I know when he's coming back. And give them a crazy eye. There's no room for that in Scripture. You do a disservice to our reputation. But be a witness. Always talk about the grace of God. Please don't give yourself credit as much as you give Jesus credit. When you're talking about what God's doing in your life, here's your conversation. I don't care if you're a checker at Walmart. 
and you're sitting there and people come up to you and they're complaining and griping and then you've got some time with them for some reason and you, you can talk about it and they start talking. You could share about how you have peace in the midst of crazy situations. Be a witness. Testify to anything good and godly that's going on in your life and link it to Jesus. So I'm going to give you five ways that you can be a witness, okay? How does God want me to be a witness? I'm starting this for me. And I believe it applies to you. After meeting with the Lord, this is what he told me to do. And I know it's from him because it's from his word. Number one, I need to form new friendships with non-believers. I've got Mormons on my street. I've got gay couples in my community. And if I'm not careful, I'll build an ivory tower and hang out with all of you that think just like me. And we got all the same political connections and ideas. But that does no service to the kingdom of God of establishing and advancing his work. Jesus made a habit to make friends with sinners. He was called a glutton. He was called a sinner. Jesus did this thing that we do at North Valley. We say, hey, you can belong here to this church and a part of this fellowship, a gathering on a Sunday morning, far before you ever believe everything we teach. And then as far as behave, that's the last thing we expect out of you. What we want for you, number one, is we want you to belong. We want you to know who we are, know who Jesus is. Secondly, we're going to help you to believe what God's word says. The last thing we're going to address is your behavior. But don't churches do that backwards? Don't churches oftentimes say, this is how you ought to behave. Why? Well, because we believe. And if you believe everything I'm talking about, then you can belong. I might argue that's why most churches in America are below 100 in gathering and attendance. I can't correlate that and make that exact argument, but I do say this. I've talked to a lot of you. And that will wear you out. This is gospel. Hey, come here. Jesus says he... He's a friend of sinners. Jesus says he forgives sins. Paul said, actually, here's, here's a good saying. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Paul, the guy we love, says, hey, he's the worst of them. Hey, we were all on common ground. God's grace is good. Jesus, Matthew 9, 12 through 13 says this. On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick for I've come to call the, I've not come to call the righteous, but I've come to call the sinners. Let's follow a ministry like Jesus, amen? Let's be people that are, I've said this before, if I see you out in the community and you're hanging out in a dark place or a situation, I think there's a way to do that. But you're hanging out with somebody of questionable character, I'll probably say, a boy, go share and show the love of Christ. Jesus loves to be with people who need help. So the church is the same thing. Why? Because those are the very people that need to know about what God has done in your life. Number two, I want you to do this to be a witness with me is ask other believers to join you as a witness. I had a big problem earlier before I was a Christian. I was the party guy. I was the class clown. I threw the best and the biggest parties in Little Rock. College students from Old Miss would come. Fayetteville would come. We threw parties of 100, 200, 300 in a little cow pasture with some big PV speakers. Boom. Gave that up because I found out it was empty. I let go without all that, and I met Jesus because my friends started getting changed. They started testifying, Jesus is better than drugs. Jesus is better than alcohol. Jesus is better than girls. Jesus is better than anything they've ever experienced. But what do you need to do? Here's what you need to do. You need to, if you're going to 
be a witness, you need to ask other believers to join you as a witness. You can't go alone. All throughout the scripture, Jesus sends out two by two, then he sends out 12, and then he sends out 72. He sends out a small little army to go advance the kingdom. He doesn't send people isolated or alone. There's no lone rangers, solo lobos in the Christian life. Are you with me? So what does this look like? For me, when I was a party man, go witness on Saturday morning, not on Friday night. Temptation was way too strong. I tried it a few times on Friday nights, and I saw the big party, I saw everything, and I walked over there. It was just two blocks down from my house, and there was a side of me that said this, I miss that. God, I feel so alone. I, they don't know me anymore. I'm not making an impact. I don't have any new Christian friends, God. These are all my friends. What am I supposed to do? And I would go home, and the Lord would remind me, Ryan, you know peace and joy and satisfaction doesn't come out of that. I'd say, yep, you're right get up Saturday morning, I'd go over there. They looked like a bomb knocked out that place. I'd go over there like an EMT once again. Bro, you got wasted last night. You look terrible. Do you want to go to Waffle House? Oh, yeah. Come on, get in the car. Let me share you about the peace that I have in Christ. He's better than drugs. He's better than beer. Tell me more. I got made fun of for a long time. They said they would go on Friday nights. Say, hey, we're going to get wasted tonight, but don't worry. Pastor Ryan will be here in the morning. <laughs> they would say, we got to invite him back. If we can get him back on the dark side, that'd be great. I never went back to the dark side. But I always went after them in the light. Be careful as a witness. Go into the dark places at the right time with the right people, amen? We're better together than we are apart. Jesus said that, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So here's what I do on Friday nights from time to time. I would start to invite other believers with me and we would go into the party. Temptation to drink, temptation to do whatever was wrong, begin to evaporate. I was stronger together. When you go on your mission, you need to ask others to pray for you. You need to ask others to go for you. You need to give support. Some of you are going to go take the love of Christ to the ends of the earth. We've got teams going out to the Dominican Republic. How can we help? How can we have a worldwide witness if we're stuck here in Phoenix? Here's how. You give financially to that mission team. You're a part of a global movement called the local church, sharing and showing the love of Christ, not just here locally, but globally. You can pray for them. You can pray for them, or you can go with them. Would you be so bold to go? We've got a team going out to Los Angeles next week to share and show the love of Christ, to visit a church that we've helped plant in downtown L.A., South L.A., in the hood. We're going to refresh them, encourage them. We've got a team going out to the Dominican Republic. I just got report back. We're helping start 10 new churches in unreached people groups in India. I'm going to try to go this next year asking you to join me. Praise God for that. Amen. We can do this thing together. We can be a worldwide witness. Don't seek to be famous. Make the church, make Jesus famous. Work through the church. The church, the church, the church, the church is the most powerful entity upon the world. It's the local kingdom nucleus to advance kingdom work around the world. That's us. We're the church. And we have testimony even here today. We don't need a property to be the church. 
But by God's grace, he says, I got an area of influence for you right on I-17 in Joe Maxim, giving you through God's people, through God's provisions, through God's work and God's people, giving you that so that you can expand that influence because I love you and I want the church to be used as the local mission entity and training ground and the area of influence for the North Valley. Number three, here's what you need to do. Search the hurt with non-believers so you can share the hope. Be like a little bird dog looking, always looking, searching the field. Where is it? See the hurt so that you can do this. You can share the hope. You need to think like a doctor. There's something wrong with these people. There's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with you. And the good medicine is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that needs to be proclaimed. It needs to be shared. It needs to be shown. And you open that kingdom miracle and work up when you speak into that and you testify, you give witness, you search the hurt so you can share the hope. You come out of a background of addiction. You meet an addict. You say to them, God's grace is greater than any sin. I experienced that firsthand. God's word is true. Let me tell you about what it's done in my life. You've gone through a miscarriage. You're struggling. You hurt. You walk through that You see somebody, search the hurt so you can share the hope. You say to them, I've been there before. I know what it's like to experience loss. But God's goodness and his presence and his power got me through. He's good. His ways are not always our ways. Church, listen, you are a witness. You're not a theologian. I've spent time with you, believe me. And I like that about you. We had one of the most famous preachers in all of America come to our church, Mark Driscoll, preached. And this is what I heard from most of you. Man, where'd you find that guy? He, he, he's pretty good. I mean, he handled the word pretty good. Thought he was pretty good. I was like, well, that's North Valley. Um, here we go. We're going to close this off. I'll give you two points in closing. Well, in Peter, let me, let, me, let me back this up. Peter just says that you just always need to be ready to share the hope. Always be ready to share the hope with gentleness and respect. Doesn't matter if they're Democrats, Republicans, liberals, conservatives, gay, straight, or crooked. You share the hope. Doesn't matter if they're Mormons or Muslims or Christians or Jews. You share the hope of what you've seen God do in your life. Recently, I went over to TJ Maxx because I had to get a new 4th of July shirt, you know? And so I'm sitting there, and I, we go to Old Navy, and they don't got what I want. So I tell Leslie, I'm going to TJ Maxx. Love TJ Maxx. So I walk in there, and I start talking. Hey, I said, Leslie, is this the place where Blanca works, this girl at our church? She said, yeah. I said, well, I'm just going to do a little reconnaissance and see how one of our gals is doing in the place. So I asked the gal, I said, hey, do you know this gal named Blanca? And she said, yeah, she's my supervisor. And she said this, she makes work fun to come to be a part of. She makes me excited about the job that I have. She's the best supervisor I've ever had. And I was like, praise God, those are one of our people, North Valley. You're a witness. How did she get to that? I guarantee you that she took on this attitude that with all people, there's gentleness and respect, regardless of creed, color, lifestyle choices, whatever. Be that for me, will you? Expand that kingdom work through your witness. Here we go. Number four, invite non-believers to come and see genuine worship. We're going to get more to this in Acts chapter 2 in a couple of weeks. But the Bible says a crowd came together, meaning that crowd is not all believers. I guarantee you. You say, how do you know that? Well, because I read on. Look in verse 41. That day there was about 3,000 souls that had been saved. 
Our worship has a powerful witness. I just got done eating lunch with a guy who's going back to India and he's starting churches, guy that we're helping financially support. And he told me, he said, we have these believers that we gather for worship and we found one of the most powerful strategies is this, is within the Hindu culture, is they've got lots of gods and Jesus isn't that bad because he's just one idol among many, but we bring them to a place of worship and we begin to worship Jesus and talk about Jesus and then we love on them and as the non-believers mingle with the believers something happens and then they say like why is your God better than our gods and then these Hindu unbelievers ask all the questions after the worship is over and they say what did you mean when you were singing that well how do you do that is this true in your life Let me tell you something, guys. Every single Sunday is an opportunity for you to extend and share and show the love of Christ because our worship is a testimony of God's goodness. Amen? Last point, number five, is you share what you've seen God do in your life. I don't have to labor in that. I've been talking about it for a long time. Psalm 66 says, Come and hear all you who fear God. That means you revere, you trust Psalmist says, let me tell you what he has done for me. Amen? That's your testimony. Please make room in your calendar this year on a daily basis for befriending non-believers. Make, fr- make time on your calendar on a weekly basis to befriend non-believers. Make time on a monthly basis and an annual basis. We are the hope of the world. We are the church. We rest underneath the authority of God. It's his kingdom come. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time, for your word. God, I pray, God, as we move forward in this, is that, Lord, we take some next steps. We wrestle through the talk it over with maybe a friend or a family member to discuss how we could be a better witness for you, God, simply to share what we've seen God, do. God, I pray that you would shake this generation through your local church, not just North Valley, but all the churches in the valley, God. Would we live counterculturally, not because we're great, because you're great. So God, we humbly ask and ask with gentleness, but with bold confidence, Lord, continue to do your work in our church. Continue to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.